Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast where we review shorts, but it ain't short. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I am a senior staff writer yes. over at Slash Film. I got a, got a title, and I'm gonna, gonna let, dangle it for a little while longer you, you before I give up on that nonsense. You, you won't let that. Uh, you won't let that go. You gotta, gotta keep rubbing it in my face. I'm I'm happy about it. No, I'm happy for you. Right, thank I'm, you. I'm completely. I'm, it's uh, about. I know it's been a while, but it's also about time. Right. Yeah. Um, so this is our uh, movie review podcast here, critically acclaimed. Last week we reviewed a bunch of new movies, and we said we'd be back with a bonus episode later in the week in which we reviewed all of the Oscar-nominated short subjects for this year's Academy Awards. Uh, that that week kind of got away from us, but we will not let you down except for the timing. We already <laughs> let you down, but but we will we will still do the Oscar shorts, damn it! And that's uh, this whole week, uh, this whole week's episode. To uh, introduce this Oscar shorts episode the same way we do all of them. Uh, these used to be really obscure mm-hmm. some 20 years ago. Uh, and that's something and then, to most people who don't seek these things out. They're, yeah, they're pretty um, obscure. They're, they're pretty obscure. Uh, thanks to um, a company called Shorts International, mm-hmm. uh, they started making them available. They were theatrical, theatrically released around this time of year. Yep, and you can still find them. They're and still then, doing yeah. like a kind of a roadshow thing. Yeah, and uh, then they started being made available in chunks, mm-hmm. like the five nominees and the, the three shorts categories, uh, online. You could buy them yeah. through like iTunes and stuff, yeah. and that persists to this day. So these are not obscure anymore. You can see these mm-hmm. movies, and thanks to uh, like Disney Plus and Netflix. A lot of these shorts are now just widely available on the streaming services throughout the year. So yep. you might have even seen a couple of these yep. before the nominees were released. They're not uh, so hidden in the dark as they once were. Uh, I'm glad for that. Mm-hmm. I like the short format. I think um, for many, many years it was considered a bit of a dated format or just a, a, a less important than feature films. Well, you have to remember, in case you know anyone hasn't heard us do the spiel before... Um, Short films used to be a regular part of people's movie-going experience. You would go to a movie, and they would usually have one or two features. And then before and after them, you would have previews of upcoming attractions. You might have a newsreel. But you would also have short films. A short documentary, a narrative short, some sort of comedy sketch. Mm. Uh, This was common. And in fact, it was so common that it was in the Academy Awards pretty much right from the beginning. Because... People were busting their butts making these things. Mm-hmm. So as the shorts started to get phased out of the theatrical uh, distribution, uh, they started becoming a little harder to find. You might find them on like PBS or Late Night on Cable. Yeah. But basically short subjects became less common. And they kept the awards, and I'm glad. A lot of really great filmmakers have gotten their start making shorts, and it's a great opportunity to experiment. Uh and, yeah, but yeah, we've come kind of full circle. These are actually finally getting theatrical releases. It would be nice if short subjects beyond these 15 could get theatrical distribution. Yeah, I, I have been saying for many years, and I know they can't do this at theaters just because their preview reels are so long. Mm-hmm. At movie theaters, they're like up to 30 minutes now. Mm-hmm. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if you had a, cu- a little bit more of the old-timey theatrical experience? You go, you get a few... Th- coming attractions but then you get a short and then yeah. you get your feature um we even talked about uh way back in the day uh before streaming services were even a thing uh 
it was the ideal way to <coughs> serialize a lot of superhero characters. Yeah. You got to see a big Marvel picture and just some of the more obscure characters. You could have like a twenty-minute short beforehand. Yeah, like let, let's you say if you're going to go see all of these things, you got a kind of a, a whole adventure well, by the end of the series. Yeah, let, let's say Marvel comes out with three movies a year, and each one is preceded by I don't know a Squirrel Girl short. Yeah, or, yeah. or whatever you're into. That would have been a cool thing to do, and now of course they're just doing TV on streaming. But like, uh, just it's, doing it's it on a streaming. Point. It's the, they don't need to. They yeah. also did, and this is something people forgot about: the initial uh, home video releases of the early Marvel Studios movies had what were called Marvel one shots, mm. and they would be short films that would be exclusive to the home video release. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, and uh, they would do things like the first couple were mostly kind of like filling in kind of gaps and plot holes. Like there was one called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Thor's Hammer, which was all about that one S.H.I.E.L.D. agent played by Clark Gregg as he was like driving to where Thor's Hammer like landed in like, I forget, it was the New Mexico desert or something. And he just got a little mini adventure on the way. There was another one where uh, it was Clark Gregg and another S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. And they were basically filling in the pretty big plot hole in which Tony Stark invited the one of, like the one of the bad guys from the Incredible Hulk to join the Avengers at the end of the Incredible Hulk, uh-huh. and it's like we didn't really do anything with that. We should probably cover up that hole. So they came up with an excuse oh, okay, yeah. for why that made sense. There was a really fun one I liked actually, which I think they kind of <clears throat> kind of turned into uh, one of the plot points in Spider-Man: Homecoming, where. Lizzie Kaplan and I forget who the other guy was. Uh, they were a couple of thieves, and after the big battle at the end of the Avengers, they picked up some alien tech and used it to like they like figured out how it worked and used it to commit crimes. Mm-hmm. And Shield recruited them okay. to like be like you know they're 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 clever alien tech people. And the implication was that they would do more, and they mm-hmm. never did, which was kind of a kind of a wasted opportunity. But then I think they kind of used that idea for the Vulture later with yeah, Captain yeah. Michael Keaton. So anyway. It doesn't have to be mainstream, though, and a lot of the movies that we're going to be talking about on this week's episode, we're going to be doing 15 reviews, uh, are uh, daring, they're uh, dark, they are uplifting they're in unusual very ways. dark. Uh, yeah. in, in, in the past, I've always made it a point to start with the documentary shorts. Yeah. Firstly, they tended to take up the most time. Yeah. Uh, for Traditionally, it's like you have five films and they're 40 minutes a piece, which is just the limit of what they consider a short film at the Academy. According to the Academy, and, uh, any movie of over, I think it's 41 minutes, mm. is a feature length. And if you want to qualify for shorts, some people like cut it right down to the wire. Yeah. It's like, God, got to cut that last three frames. <laughs> got to make so, it. Uh, and I would start with those because that was the most difficult. They also dealt with the most difficult subject matter. Typically, yes. Uh, it was always really rough stuff, you know. End of life care. Dr- uh, end drugs. of life care. A lot of end yeah. of life care, a lot of drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen more human corpses in those movies than I ever cared to. Yeah. Um, and then I would move to the live action shorts, which were slightly less harrowing. Oh, yeah, a little half and half. Sometimes there were some brighter ones, but yeah, mostly dealt with rough subject matter. And then I would end with the, the animated shorts, mm-hmm. which... I won't say we're ever lighthearted, but they were the least difficult. They tend uh, to be. They they tend to be a little shorter, mm-hmm. and they tend to cover. Oh, uh, sorry, bumping the table. Knock it off. Uh, they tend to be a little shorter, and they tend to uh, be a little bit more prone to not being super depressing. Although that theory has failed us many times, and in fact, this year the docs are mostly. Uh, I wouldn't say they're not they're light, but well, they're, they're not that dark. They're intense. Year. They're calls for action this year. We're yeah. getting a lot of political documentaries, which I appreciate. Yeah. Uh, the live action shorts are uh, pretty bleak. Uh, yeah, we, we have uh, <laughs> we have wife in coffin, yeah. uh, abortion waitress. Uh, 
Yeah. What are some of the other ones we got here? Um, uh, um, what do we got? Uh, no, no, that was Red Wine. Oh, uh, yeah, Wife and Coffin. There we go. Oh, uh, uh, Dead uh, Dead Daughter. We got that going on. Oh, there you go. Dead well. Daughter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then... Uh, 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 there was Stab Daughter. Jesus. Um, and was there another Dead Daughter? There was... Or? Um, I'm trying to remember what this... Um, <clears throat> oh, it was a, a, a Troubled Youth in a... a oh, yeah. A, what do you call them? Uh, juvenile Detention Juvenile Center. Detention Center. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's quite late when we record these. Sorry about that. I'll get my mojo. So yeah, we we had some yeah. pretty dark ones in the live action category, but yeah. uh, some uh, only a few films that I really liked. They're kind of a weak crop this year, just overall. Eh, I, uh, there's there's some definite highlights in here, and then the and then the 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 animated films are weirdly intense too. Mm. Uh, Three of them are I will narrate my past. Yeah, that's true. Which it's a, kind of kind of tiresome when you get three of them in a row it's... Yeah, but I think they're done very differently so I appreciate yeah. that um, uh, which category do you want to start with they're going to go through each category yeah. alphabetically I'm guessing people would want us to talk about the animated films first okay we'll talk about the so animated we'll talk films about right? the animated films first right. uh, the first animated film we're going to be covering on this uh, podcast is a film called Letter to a Pig mm. which was written and directed by Tal Cantor uh, and this is an intense one. It opens up with uh, a young boy, and he's running uh, uh, from the Holocaust. He's trying to escape, mm. uh, and he finds his way into a pigsty, covering himself up with hay. And, hid, hid there from the Nazis. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Nazis were looking inside the pigsty. This is the first thing that happens in the movie. Nazis were looking inside the pigsty, and they could have seen him, but a pig walked right in front of him, Saved his life. All they saw was the pig. The story then continues and we realize that we're being told this tale. This is uh, an old man, a Holocaust survivor, who has been brought into a class. I think like middle school. No, they're uh, high schoolers. No, they're high schoolers? Okay. Kids. And uh, he's they're, they're trying to impart, this happened. This could happen again. This is a horrible thing uh, genocide anti-semitism these are all terrible things that we need to make sure future generations who might feel somewhat divorced from this although i think maybe less so lately uh that they should be aware of and you don't want history to repeat itself and you want to take this very very seriously but the kids are kids and so they are they're, they're easily distracted and they're bored and they're shifting around and this uh, this guy's telling his story and uh, he ends up having to sort of one of the students gets a little bit involved in the story after a mm -hmm. while. and uh, He starts really sort of envisioning it. Yeah, and, it, and, and because it's animated, it gets very abstract, and the, yeah. the pig becomes kind of a this big terrifying metaphor in her mind. Yeah, I feel like the metaphor gets a little muddled in her mind. Uh, the, the, the guy is reading, you know, his notes, his essay, his mm -hmm. oration, and it's phrased as a letter to this pig. Thank you to this pig. This pig saved my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in her mind, the pig takes on some very different qualities and we see like her and the kids kind of turn on the pig as though the kid, the pig was itself a malevolent force. And then that kind of goes haywire. And I feel as though we're getting at something. We're watching a child try to process the extreme horror and the extreme depths of what humanity can become 
and kind of struggling to even imagine it. I feel like yeah, that's kind of yeah. what the short is. Uh, so on one hand, and the, and the animation style plays this out. Like it seems like it's partly, uh, you know, very uh, mm. uh, almost um, impressionistic, but then parts of the characters are also clearly like drawn over real people. So yeah. that we're kind of getting like sort of uh, the real person and the abstraction simultaneously. But yeah, I feel like we're watching an animated film about someone trying to process something and not being able to do it. And the unfortunate downside of that for me is that I feel as though sometimes the short itself feels like it loses focus. I don't think it loses focus. I think what it is doing, it's reducing that reaction into, well, not reducing, just sort of interpreting it into an abstraction. Uh, How uh, it it turns into something a little bit more psychological. Uh, It becomes not really a dream. Um, It just sort of the way uh, our minds tend to mix things together. It turns into a strange to go, yeah. you know, and it kind of mixes our own experience yeah. with the story that we're hearing. And yeah. I think that's actually this really interesting visual extrapolation of the way we relate to the past and how we uh, yeah. internalize new information, yeah. especially uh, such passionate information and such dark information. Um, I like that. I like that a lot. I think that's a really good way to... uh, This is the kind of film that works better in animation. You could probably probably cut things together in a way to make it abstract and surrealist in live action, but it wouldn't play nearly as well. I think think it would have to become more literal, and I think that's kind of would be missing the point in this. This is a film I think is really interesting. I think it's challenging in a way that when I I say maybe it loses focus, that, that might just be a byproduct of its intention. Okay. Where it is attempting to take these ideas that are so huge and punishing and terrible and immediate to the person who experienced them, but very far away from the people who are hearing them, that trying to see like what happens when these tales, these very important tales of the Holocaust or any other um, similar atrocity, uh, are conveyed to children who don't understand them. And like the one kid who is actually able to focus enough, but is still trying to wrap their head around it. Yeah. And I think that's really, ex- that's really, I hate to use the word exciting because it makes it sound fun, but it's really mm. uh, electrifying to watch that sense of extempore, that sense of imagination. Uh, but yeah, because the kid I think is only able to understand so much of it. Uh, the movie is only able to uh, show that much as well. And I think the audience needs to bring some of their own, uh, needs to do some of the work themselves, I think. And I think some, uh, a lot of filmmakers might... I think they might struggle with the idea of being that vague in some regards. Having some ambiguity in terms of interpretation. In yeah. terms of how she's envisioning how this tale relates to her own life, or her own anxieties, or her own fears. Um, it's really good, though. I like it. Yeah, it's really good short. Okay. Yeah. We're moving on? Yeah. Okay, moving on. Well, uh, we got 15 movies to get through. Okay, <laughs> it's funny. Um, the next one is also someone uh, talking about their life story. It's called 95 Senses, and this one's directed by Jared and Jerusha Hess. Of Napoleon Dynamite fame. Yeah, uh, Jared uh, Hess directed Napoleon Dynamite. Jerusha Hess uh, uh, directed um, Austin Land, which is, I think, a very underrated romantic comedy. Okay. It's very funny. I... I, I I, I saw it at Sundance and I really liked it a lot and then it came out and nobody else seemed to like it and I didn't revisit it for years and then finally uh, my, my partner was like, oh, that sounds kind of fun, let's check it out and we just laughed our heads off. All right. So I, I, I like Drew Jess as a filmmaker uh, as well, but 
they tend to be known for uh, comedies. And this has some amusing elements, but it takes a darker turn. And it is about an old man talking about his relationship with his senses. Uh, played by uh, Tim Blake Nelson. Yes. He's the, the narrator. Of Great the actor, Tim Blake Nelson. And uh, yeah, so he's talking about, uh, you know, his sense of uh, smell and how he kind of lost that and all the things that he remembered smelling when he was younger. Uh, his sense of hearing and what that experience has had. And what we realize over time is that he is telling us about these experiences he had very long ago as a child. And we're not really getting anything from the last... 50 years or so uh-huh. and eventually we realize and I'm not going to ruin it for you but there is a narrative that unfolds where we learn more about this guy's life and we realize and where, that, where he's narrating from yeah, yeah and and this story that seems to be kind of universal I remember smelling things I remember listening to the radio and, and it seems really quaint like yeah. almost obnoxiously so at first yeah until the twist hits and like yeah. oh I, okay, okay, I see what you're doing here. And and a lot of animated shorts, a lot of, a lot of short films in general, um, tend to be twist-oriented. This is not uncommon. Yeah, uh, a, it, it's it's like a joke. There's yeah. a setup and there's a punchline. Yeah, exactly, because you don't have a lot of real estate. So you set something up, you uh, let the audience's expectations carry them away because you don't have a lot of time to play with those expectations, and then towards the end you sort of twist the knife and you do something a little unexpected. Uh, this can be great. It can also be a little repetitive if they nominate a whole bunch of shorts that do the same thing. Yeah. Which has happened in previous years. Uh, but here, it's not like right at the end. It's like in the middle and it recontextualizes everything. And it goes from being this kind of... Oh, did you ever watch Calliope when you were a kid? Uh, it was on like Nickelodeon. It was like Nickelodeon or US. It was on Basic Cable. It was an animated... A show for kids, but it was a bunch of sort of disparate animated shorts, and they weren't all necessarily connected. Uh, and a lot of them were about things like, you know, the senses or doing something normal or whatever mm-hmm. like that, and just sort of connecting to kids in a very real way. And I might be remembering it slightly wrong, but it, uh, that early bit, just talking about your senses and how they feel, feels like the kind of short you'd show a kid. Yeah. And then you realize this is not a short that is about childhood really this is a short about someone who is old looking back on their lives and all the things that they did wrong and mistakes that they made and regrets that they have um it's very good i like this one a lot uh it's all right just just all right just all right what do you think why it's, a, it's just all right uh oh, the, you're the, a critic the, Come the, on. Uh, the uh the execution uh is is not terribly dynamic uh okay. it's it's a little bit too forgive me uh for saying this because uh, and animators hate it but cartoony uh it feels it feels pretty broad uh where it's it drops in that twist uh in a way that does recontextualize things but doesn't make it terribly interesting it just gives you the context of what we're seeing right that's drama it's not supposed to be like it's not like the sixth sense where it's like this huge giant revelation it's just no this is what this is what we're doing as we're talking about it it's quite sad I I, 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 didn't really I wasn't go, I wasn't terribly moved. I guess. Oh, this okay. Is the, the point. I don't know. Maybe I was. I was. Um, mm-hmm. I've been down in the dumps lately, and I think uh, maybe it connected to me on that level. But um, yeah, okay. I liked it more than you did, but mm-hmm. uh, it's certainly very interesting, and it's an interesting coming from those filmmakers who I haven't seen done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of exciting. All right. Next up is I think from an animation perspective the most interesting one. It's called Our Uniform. 
and it is uh, directed by Yagane Mogadam. I hope I'm pronouncing that oh, right. Yeah. And this is about uh, uh, a young woman from the Middle East and how sh- she's remembering her childhood and how they were uh, forced to wear very strict clothing for women. Mm-hmm. And the well, entire thing is is told as just sort of like, I remember all these things about our uniforms and how restrictive they felt and how good it felt to throw them off at the end of the day. But the, the, the gimmick, the, the thing that makes it extra special, is that all of the animation is painted onto blue jeans. Well, various kinds of cloth. Yeah. Mostly, uh, but it's, I feel, it's, I feel it's like pants. Pe- actually, it's animated on pieces of clothing, so yeah. the, the, the animators painted onto the actual denim, mm-hmm. and also like would crinkle the denim, and it's mostly mm-hmm. uh, people's relationships to their um, uh, uh, headwear. Yeah. Uh, the hijab. The hijabs. Yeah. Uh, and, in fact, the the film comes with a disclaimer saying, oh, this isn't about, you know, this isn't a, a criticism of hijabs or mm-hmm. people who wear them. This is mm-hmm. just people just talking about their relationships to them. Right. Um, and it's, it's about an individual experience. It's not necessarily decrying mm. that, although it certainly does get into how oppressive it felt as a child to have people constantly, yeah. you know, trying to shove your hair back up into your yeah, your, and, and your clothes. It, it is about how, you know, the restrictive clothing was also part of like restrictive mm-hmm. uh, social norms at the time mm-hmm. or, or particularly political, for women, for politi- yeah. political norms at the time, the way they were held, you know, held as uh, these kind of prisons. Uh, but at the same time, it was a lot of the relationships with these hijabs were uh, kind of whimsical and there's a lot of whimsical imagery in the movie. Like here, here you said how it feel good, feels good to take it off at the end of the day. And there's like a lot of shots of like people skinny dipping on a pair of jeans. And that's kind of cute. Yeah. Um, it's very short. I think this is the shortest one. I think it's like seven minutes. It's pretty short. Yeah. Um, and it's not particularly profound, but no, it's, it's, it's not trying to be. Though, it's, it's a little sweet. And I like that. I, I like the visuals this, a lot. The visuals are really amazing. Mm-hmm. I think as a slice of life story, it's, it's, it's nice. It's kind of. Uh, it's got enough specificity that it doesn't feel like we're just sort of like, hey, did you know about this? Like, no, we're talking about someone's personal experiences, someone's life, very vignette-based. But the animation style and just how clever they get with it, you doing little tricks with the seams yeah, of the clothing. Tear through the seams, like go, going out of the pockets. Yeah, yeah. yeah, really, just honestly, just visually fascinating. Visually alone, uh, this is my favorite of the animated shorts. Okay. I'm not sure if it's my favorite overall, I'm still deciding that. Eventually, we'll talk about what our favorite is and what we think is perhaps most likely to win, which isn't important. But if you're listening to this to sort of get a, get ahead on your Oscar ballots, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll help you out. Um, but no, this one was really striking, and I really thought it was a really good marriage of form and function. You know, the the, yeah, the yeah, style yeah, really spoke to the material, <laughs> literally. Uh, and um, I I think that's really admirable. I think this is a really interesting uh, experimental short. And uh, kudos to everyone involved. Um, next up, we have uh, another one that's about childhood and remembering your childhood. Uh, and this one is quite dark. It's called Pachyderm. And it is about a young girl who... Or, or pa- Pachyderm. Pachyderm, sorry. It's, it's, it's not in English. But um, it, it refers to uh, an elephant. It's a girl who uh, is living with... Her grandmother and grandfather, or is she just visiting? I can't remember. She's just visiting. She's visiting. Yeah. She, she would visit them, and she'd be left alone with her grandparents. Yeah, she, she was staying with them for a summer. Yeah, and she would remember specific details about her house. It was always tidy, and it always smelled like this. And at the top of the staircase, there was a big elephant tusk that yeah, was yeah. like some sort of memento or family heirloom or something. 
And um, we're, we're picking up on this and we're realizing that this isn't a particularly joyous retelling of childhood. Uh, it's, it's actually about not trauma necessarily, just about a, a fearful time in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, remembering uh, something really unpleasant. Oh, beyond unpleasant. Yeah. Deeply, deeply, deeply terrible. And um, it's, it's, it's really heartbreaking to watch uh, someone who is telling a story... And I don't, I don't know if this is based on a true story or not, but mm-hmm. like it's, it's a kind of thing that people would, in an attempt to explain terrible things that happened to you long ago, you might not want to just dive in and say, this bad thing happened. And you want to just sort of give the context and talk about, oh no, but my childhood, there were good things in it too. Mm-hmm. And then you can't help but let the bad things kind of leak in until finally, well, it's never explicit it's abundantly clear what was really happening and just how absolutely miserable that is and how absolutely just horrifying that Mm. childhood turned out to be. Uh, And this is a depressing short. By design, it's Mm -hmm. it's definitely not supposed to leave you feeling good. It's supposed to make you feel uh, sort of a tragic empathy. Uh, But that is an unpleasant emotion to feel, I would argue, and I think it does a good job of evoking that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, is it harsh? Yeah. It's a it's a real it's a really depressing short. Uh, in a way, I, I think uh, I I see like films and stories like this a lot yeah. about you know something horrible that happened to you in your childhood and how as a child, the things you need to do to interpret that hurt. Yes, and and you know, and the process and the darkness and the fear yeah. that, you, that you went through. Yeah, and I feel like uh, as children, we tend to start to project those fears onto the parts of the world we can kind of understand. Yeah, uh, and in this case, it's that tusk. Yeah, that comes to and, represent and, something. Um, yeah. There's there's a moment uh, in in this short uh, that really stood out though. That has nothing to do with the tusk. Where she's in a room, and something uh, something really terrifies her in her room. Yeah. And she f- looks at the wallpaper. Yeah. And she like tries to, and like her body vanishes into the wallpaper. Yeah, I think she's that's, disassociating from what's really yeah. happening and just trying to like focus on a on a detail in the room. Yeah, and I, and I feel like that's really <laughs> accurate. To, yeah. You know, to a lot of. A lot of how we process a lot of uh, that, that kind of pain when we're children. Yeah, you know, so it's it's a deeply, deeply painful movie, mm-hmm. but I think it's an excellently crafted one. Yeah, I've, I've, it's very painterly. Um, it's uh, <clears throat> again, this is another story of somebody recounting their past. Uh, in this case, quite a dark one. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the three that, the three or four that do that, I, mm-hmm. I think maybe this is the best one. Yeah, there's an argument to yeah. it. Um, and then the last short film is a is a big about face stylistically and narratively. Uh, it's called "War Is Over," inspired by the music of John and Yoko. And you may have heard uh, the the song on the radio on the holidays, "Happy Christmas, War Is Over." And there's that big uh, sort of at the end that chorus: "War Is Over." If you want, like, and it's it's Merry Merry Christmas, yeah, yeah. Um, it it's a classic Christmas song. Um, yeah. it's it's simultaneously sad and hopeful. 
Um, I'm, I'm fond of it. Uh, I've, I used to hate the Paul McCartney Christmas song, simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Oh yeah. It's, it's, and now I, it's grating. And now I kind of love how grating it is in a way. It's like, a, it's like a canker sore and you can't stop tonguing it. Like, it's just sort of like, but yeah, miss, but you miss it when it's gone a little bit. Like every, you'll come on the radio like November 30th and you're like, okay, it's Christmas. I'll let it go. It's fine. The sun is out. My lunch is up. Uh, um, we <laughs> we have a, a Hallmark Christmas tree ornament that plays that song. Yeah. It plays the Paul McCartney song. Oh, my God. I bet you press that button all the time. Well, I have an eight-year-old. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we have several ornaments that play uh, noises, and he will push them yeah. all at once to see which one plays the longest. Nice. Um, well, uh, this short mm. is it's quite long, actually. It's like 11 minutes, which is, I think, uh, if, but it feels kind of epic. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's uh, it's set during World War One, mm-hmm. and uh, it is in the trenches, and there and it's all it's all animated in the Unreal Engine, which is an engine that they use in a lot of video games. So it's mm-hmm. got a very video game kind of aesthetic, like a video game cutscene. Um, but we're following a carrier pigeon, and this carrier pigeon is taking a message to the front. You know, here's here's important plans, and then the person who's in charge of taking the carrier pigeon, I'm like you know, protecting it, you whatever. Uh, they whip out their chessboard, and they think for a second, and they move a piece, and then they write their chess move on a little piece of paper, put, put it, it in the, the pigeon. The chicken. The, the chicken. The, the, chicken. the pigeon. Carrier uh, chickens carrier. are a little less effective. <laughs> well, don't you remember the brave carrier chickens in, in the trenches of World War One? But anyway, the, the but this is on like the British side, and then they uh, the bird flies over to the German side. Mm-hmm. And where a German soldier is, is playing chess with the, yeah. uh, another soldier on and the And they front. don't even know who they're playing with, mm. which makes you wonder how this started. Like who 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 started this you, one you, up? You catch a pigeon, you just say chess anyone. <laughs> I, it's a weird. It, it's it's just a narrative that like makes you like sort of start questioning it. But yeah. generally speaking, the story is about how these people are sending a pigeon back and forth, and they're playing chess, and how this ongoing chess game is kind mm. of like. You know, the, the, giving people something light to think about in yeah, the, the midst the, of all this horror. More and more soldiers on each side get involved in the chess game, yeah. and they all gather around to see what the next move is going to be. Yeah. Uh, and then the war happens. Yeah, they have to uh, go they over to, the they, hill, and it's a big, massive attack, and, and, like at the end and of Blackadder. And the... Uh, the and the pigeon is injured, and yeah, yeah it's, it's all, all very dramatic. It's like, and the and the war interrupts the light things, and the yeah. armistice can't last. And but war's over if you want it. Yeah, uh, it's 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 a little it's, it's treacly. It's, it's not treacly. it's not Disney, but it has that vibe to it. It's definitely got. Um, did you ever see the movie The Majestic? With oh uh, yeah, Car- yeah, it's a Frank Darabont film. Yeah, it's a, it's a we- that's a treacly movie without shame. Oh god, I, I no, mean, it's it's like drinking molasses. Yeah, it's, it's super sweet, and it's what he was going for. But if you want to see. Uh, uh, just what we mean when we talk about studio notes. Watch the opening scene of The Majestic, because Jim Carrey plays a Hollywood screenwriter, and it's just him. You don't even hear the other voice, see the other voices in the room. You're just talking to some suits. It's a close up of Jim Carrey, <laughs> yeah. and he's looking down, totally depressed. He is yeah. not responding to any of this. Just he's yeah. hearing all of the studio uh, the, executives. They're talking about his latest about script, and they're talking about yeah. how what if the protagonist had a dog, and at the end when he's stuck down the well, the dog rescues him, and the studio other studio guy is like, I "Oh my love god, it. that's." Perfect, and you just see Jim Carrey dying like, inside. His soul is just, just draining out of his body. It, it's not that it's it's not that it's bad drama per se. It's just so on the nose. It's shameless. It does you don't believe it. There's nothing human about it. It's all designed to have this kind of effect. Hmm. And 
even if you're aware of it, it can still have that effect. That's that's what melodrama can do. Um, so I wasn't like unaffected by the story, but I was mildly annoyed by just how tr- <laughs> how contrite it was. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's contrived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, contrived. Yeah. It's, it's both trite and contrived. There you go. It's Con- contrite. Contrite. There you yeah. go. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 not badly made. It's just in what, what were we really getting at here? Yeah. And it's. Honestly, it feels just like a really great demo reel, more than it does a great store, a great short to me. Yeah, well, and, and it also ha- uh, it also has that quality of of setup and payoff. It's like yeah. okay, um, you're telling this. I remember there was another uh, cute animated short about chess uh, from about a decade ago called Jerry's Game. Oh, it was more than a decade uh, ago. It was like twenty years. It was in the nineties. Was was that long ago? Okay, yeah, because yeah. that was I was just reading. I was just doing some research it was, it was on that. A Pixar actually. film. Yeah, yeah, it was. A, it was one of the uh, Pixar shorts right when they started doing uh, features, and it ended up being kind of like a big deal in terms of like how they learned to animate differently. Like it used to be, you would only animate the part of the character who was in the frame, uh-huh. but because of the complexities of the story, it's about an old man playing chess with himself, and he's playing both parts. Great short. It's on Disney Plus if you want to watch it. Um, they would actually go to the effort of animating the whole character, even if it wasn't on camera. And uh-huh. I learned like a lot of different tricks about like the best, most effective way to animate uh, people and performances mm-hmm. in ways that they hadn't learned before. So it's really important. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's really important. But, in addition uh, to being very good. What I appreciate is that it that's it's just a gag. Yeah. Uh, this li- old man sits down and he he moves and he moves very dramatically. Like there's somebody sitting across the ha <laughs> And then he slowly gets up, moves to the other side of the table, sits down, ponders, and then moves the... He's playing both sides. Yeah. And then, of course, but he's he also playing to, both characters, which it, is great. Yeah, and, and it starts to edit in such a way that it looks like he's playing... There's two people playing. Yeah. And at the very end, somebody wins. Like, checkmate. There's yeah. no dialogue. And the gag is... Ah, okay, here's my teeth. Of course, it's his own teeth. Yeah. So he just does this in the morning as a little game he can play with himself before he puts his teeth in. Yeah, a little bit. That's that's yeah. as sophisticated a gag as you need. I don't remember the teeth bit. Yeah, that's the that was okay. the gag. That was the punchline right. at the end of that movie. Well, this one, the... in having it be the World War One carrier pigeon, yeah, makes the light like it doesn't. The the chest bit seems doesn't doesn't have the same impact because it's mm. against such a huge backdrop. Yeah, and unfortunately, if it w- if we never got the battle at the end. Maybe the chess thing would have played even harder, but because we get to that battle, the way that the chess game that they were playing ends up affecting the battle itself mm. feels like it undermines both. The battle feels less real, and the chess feels less important, or at the very least, or worse, it feels too important. Yeah. And it just it's, kind of brings it, it again. It's not badly made. It just doesn't yeah. really fall ham, together very well. Yeah, it's very ham ham handed. Yeah, is, yeah, is, is, yeah. is the, the word we're looking for. Yeah. Uh, do you do you have a favorite of the five? Um, I liked Pashi Down. Okay. Uh, just okay. in terms of its emotional intensity. Yeah. But I think my favorite was uh, uh, the first one. Oh, Letter to a Pig? Letter to a Pig. I liked Letter to a Pig. I I liked the style of it. I liked how abstract it was. Mm -hmm. I appreciate animated shorts that take full advantage of the medium. Yeah. Uh, You could have told War is Over in live action. Uh, Oh, easily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe not. Probably have to CGI a a pigeon, but other than that. Or train a pigeon. Just film it. But um, some of the stuff I I guess filmmakers don't really train animals as much as they used to. No. Uh, I don't know how easy it is to train a pigeon specifically, but anyway. They did it in the war. I know. (laughs) Just get one of them. They're still alive, right? Oh, yeah. One of those. How long do pigeons live? Yes. 
They live 200 surely, years, right? Surely. They're like Galapagos. Hey, parents live a long time. That's true. So they probably wouldn't be around from World War One, though. It seems no. Like unlikely. Yeah. Um, for me, I, 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 looking back, I think, honestly, our uniform is the one. It may not uh, have been the most, like, dramatically powerful story, uh-huh. but I think it was the one that, and I think Letter to a Pig does this really well, too, but um, for me, it was the one that had the best marriage of uh, style and substance, where... Oh, yeah the style was very striking and distinct. And I don't know if it's ever been done before, but it was pretty, it felt pretty original to me. Uh, and I thought they got so much mileage out of it in terms of gags, sure, but mm-hmm. also just interesting ways to sort just of... creativity. Yeah, yeah. Just, just to tell a story through people's clothes and telling a story about clothes and never trying to make it like more impactful than it needed to be, which is something that I think wars over is mm. trying to really just push it at the end, like yeah, really yeah, sell it. Yeah. And I think it's it just overplays its hand. Whereas I think our uniform is like I have three of a kind and I'm gonna I'm gonna play it really <laughs> great. And I just gonna at the end everyone's going, Oh, you only had three of a kind? Shit, okay. Mm. Shouldn't have shouldn't have folded. Good job, our uniform. This metaphor got away from me, by the way, but it's just saying so, it's like it's 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 not so like So our uniform is three of a kind and war is over is three of a kind, but they're all aces of spades. <laughs> Look, I have there you go. three of the same. Isn't that impressive? It's still three of a kind. Wait a minute. That's not... Su- ah. <laughs> All right. Uh, which one do you want to do next? Do you want to do live actions uh, or let's, a Let's do live action. Because okay. like, that's... Let's delve into the pit right. of, of depressing <laughs> shit. And... Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll end on the documentaries, which actually are a little bit lighter. Okay. Well, uh, the first film uh, uh, of the uh, Oscar-nominated live-action shorts is called The After. We got a lot of celebrities this time. Yeah, fair enough. That, that used names. to be... Yeah. There used to be, like, one yeah. where you'd get, like, a known actor, a yeah. recognizable like, oh, did, film star. Sally Hawkins uh, is in this. Oh, wow. Own. What are the odds? You know? Like, or, you know, Brendan Gleeson yeah. is in this one. It felt like uh, a lot more, like, just people flying by the seat of their pants getting actors in their yeah, college uh, or whatever. It, it seems like these, because these shorts are now a little higher profile, mm. more known actors are showing up. So we got David Ayelowo in this one. Yeah, great and, actor. Um, and this one is Stab Daughter. Why do you call That's such a terrible thing to I know. Okay, it's called The After, but, it, I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's so... I, I get angry at films that are this aggressively depressing, and I okay. love depressing stories. You do like way too I, much. If you I ask me. love sad stories. Oh, I love movies no. that really just delve into the darkness. I, I, and there is a I way. I peek at Elton John's sad songs. Like that's <laughs> as, that's as sad as I like my art. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm championing films like The Painted Bird, which yeah. are just litanies of torture. Uh, I love movies like that. Yeah, but there is a way to tell these stories where uh, they are just so aggressively miserableist they feel manipulative it feels like they were unaware that other emotions exist and Mm. that's something that doesn't come across as very nuanced especially in a short Mm. where you don't have a lot of real estate it's just basically boom sad right yes movie I am you you gut punched me and I think a sad story I think works a lot better in uh, feature length maybe because you can spend a lot of time establishing who these characters are mm. you can spend a lot of time uh, essentially getting to what a status quo is yeah. before you get to the sadness and that way the sadness hits a little bit harder mm-hmm. and then you can live with it for a little while yeah. you can feel what it's like to be in that sad spot for a longer amount of time well that certainly these, is the advantage of telling a longer story I, I suppose so sad, yeah. you do the shorts it's like haha we're happy no your family is dead yeah. and it, it 
it feels like I'm watching the opening credits to a cop show. Yeah, like this bit. is the inciting incident for like a revenge story that's yeah. going to happen later on. Uh, the story stars mm. David Oyelowo. He's a successful yeah. business guy, and he's got a wife and a very adorable young daughter. And he's just on the phone outside, meeting up with his wife and daughter. And then, I mean, you 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 already mm. described it. I was going to be a little more vague, uh, but uh, there's just this this random. Act of violence, mm-hmm. and uh, his daughter is stabbed mm-hmm. and dies. Uh, and then we cut to a few years later. He is no longer doing the successful job that he was doing, and uh, you get the impression that his Which family the, fell the, apart, his life the, fell apart, and now the, sad, the sadness ruined him. And all he can do now is is drive a cab. Yeah, he drives a cab or an Uber, and um, then the so that's the opening prologue, and then the rest of the movie is just him driving people around. Just hearing glimpses of their lives. They're talking about petty things, funny things, mm. uh, relationships going bad. And then the last fare he takes is of uh, a husband, a wife, and another daughter. Mm. And it just kind of reminds him a little bit of the situation that he lost. And, yeah, and and they're they're not doing anything special. They're just sort of bickering. Yeah. They're they're bickering it, yeah. and kind of ignoring their kid, not in a negligent way. They're mm. just in their own zone. Yeah. And he starts getting the sort of like in, in the mirror, just having like a little connection with the kid. Like I know, right? Mm. You know, uh, parents. And then something happens, very minor. But something happens towards the end, and just this one little bit of human connection has just a devastating impact on him. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole short. Yeah, he, he, and, he, and he falls on the, the sidewalk and cries. Yeah. And, th- and that's the end of the film. And uh, I just don't think that amounts to as much as they think it does. No, and I... Again, if if there had been a little bit more time... Maybe. If we were able to sort of let that marinate a little bit, let the sadness... Yeah. you know, Let us know this guy a little bit better. Yeah. That would have been great. Otherwise, it, it feels... Kind, frankly kind of mawkish well, and here's uh, the thing. which is a, a, a mean thing to say about a film that's so aggressively sad but there's ways to wield sadness correctly and I think this film doesn't do it well it's 18 minutes and honestly it feels pretty short for 18 minutes because yeah. there's just not a lot of incident and it pace, it's paced reasonably well did, did but I keep thinking to myself you, you could you could take more time yeah I feel like it's at the end like the last season of Game of Thrones there's this one episode of Pitch Meeting where they're talking about the last season of Game of Thrones and they truncated it to like six episodes and they're just like well are you gonna like talk about all this stuff that's gonna happen no 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 we're just gonna race through it and we don't have time you can have time if you want we'll give you more episodes it's a most popular show no 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 we're gonna have to do this in six episodes why you don't you're, have to. Okay, you're taking you're taking 18 minutes. These can things can be as long as 40, and I think yeah. you know even 30 minutes would have maybe gotten gotten across what they wanted to. Yeah. Um, did you ever see uh, the Abbas Kiarostami film A Taste of Cherry? Oh, uh, which is also I don't uh, it's about enough. a it's also about a cab driver. I remember the, um, I remember the gist, but I don't yeah, remember the specifics. Uh, the, the the premise of the movie it's about a cab driver. He's just sort of driving around. It's Abbas Kiarostami, so there's a lot of extended shots of just a guy driving, and there's nothing else happening. If, if you're into that kind of right. uh, meditative pacing, then you're going to be into something like this. But uh, he's giving people rides and he's just sort of uh, listening to their stories. But what he's actually doing is kind of uh, feeling them out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because he has kind of a, a bleak plan for his own future and he needs mm-hmm. a compatriot to help mm-hmm. him out with something. Um, and it's something very dark and something very depressing. Yeah. Uh, and it goes to the title of the movie. That movie, because it spends so much goddamn time just driving around, lets us know, like, just looking at this guy, 
Yeah. It at least lets us live with him. Even if we don't necessarily get to know him or what his mm-hmm. motivations are, we feel like we understand him a little bit better. Or yeah. uh, we've, we've looked at him long enough to kind of try to get a line on him. Mm-hmm. We don't get that with David Oyelowo. Really. He's a good actor, no, but he's, he's not given a lot. Yeah. He's just, it's just the structure of the material. Mm. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know if this is true, but this has happened. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if this was like, can we turn this into a feature? We don't have the budget for it, but we can shoot this much. Mm. And then we actually could, because I honestly feel this is a relatively, you could overplay it, but I think this is like a reasonably short feature film. Mm. The, the material is there. There's a certain observational quality that feels very real. When he's like in the cab and like yeah. he, he's not doing much, we we understand the context, we understand the framework in which he's like observing these people, the lens through which he sees them, mm-hmm. and I think that that hits pretty hard. So, um, but yeah, it just it ultimately doesn't uh, doesn't quite work. Yeah, it's, it's, it's overplays it's, its hand, and I think it's one of those films that's getting a lot of awards attention merely because it is sad and tragic and because it has a recognizable actor. I mean, that that does call attention to itself. It's not the only one in the, uh, this year that does that. The next one doesn't. Uh, it's called Invincible. It's a Canadian film uh, and it is a story about a teenager, a young boy, uh, who is at the beginning of the film he's having sort of like a vacation or a very happy weekend mm. with his parents and his little sister and they go out swimming and they race each yeah, other right. to the car and it seems very idyllic. We learn pretty soon that this is a furlough yeah. that's been granted him from a juvenile detention center that yeah. he does not want to go back to, understandable, yeah. understandably. Yeah, it, We it, see right at the beginning of the movie yeah. what's going to happen to this kid. Yeah, there's a which, flash forward that then we're going to see how we got there, and mm-hmm. it's pretty dark. Yeah, it, It's pretty dark. It, Rob... I can't help but think that that was a that was a studio note. Yeah, because it starts too slow. It starts too slow, or the ending was too sad. We need mm. to kind of prepare the audience for what's going to happen later on. Yeah. So we see the tragic ending of the the story first. Yeah. And then we see how we got there, and that robs it of a lot of its dramatic power at the end. Yeah. When there's a lot of a lot of mystery as to where this guy has gone. There's a, a lot of a lot of harrowing phone calls at the end. Like, yeah. oh no, where where is he? He didn't show up. We need to figure out where he is. Yeah. If we hadn't already seen what happened. Mm-hmm. Those would be really, really kind of emotionally strong scenes. Yeah. Uh, I feel like showing us the end at the beginning yeah. hurt the movie ultimately. And it's a shame because this is based on a true story uh, mm. apparently happened to the filmmaker, uh, or at their family at least. Mm. And that that brings a certain, there's a certain uh, amount, I think, of genuineness to this that I just, I, I, it doesn't feel contrived the way that some of the other really heavy ones does, except that opening, I agree. And this is something I've talked about a lot over the years. This very blunt screenwriting trick of our opening is kind of slow, Uh or maybe we even think it's a little dull, but we think it's necessary, but we do feel the need to grab the audience, so we're just going to pluck an exciting or dramatic moment from later in the story, and we're going to put it at the beginning. This can work, provided... You're not only doing it to spice up the beginning. You actually need to... (laughs) When we get back to that point later, we need context to have changed. And now we look at that scene in a different light. Or maybe it's not a flash forward that takes us all the way to the end. Maybe it only takes us to the middle. And now the rest of the movie is a big question mark, whereas we thought we knew where we were going. Um, But if all it does is tell you where the story is going... That can work. There can be a certain uh, uh, gravitas to, like, like, like when you saw Titanic 
you knew what was going to happen. <laughs> like, you don't necessarily know if all the characters aren't going to make it. There's, so there's mm. a bit of like, well, does Jack make it? Does Rose make it? Do, do they die? That's a little bit of a question mark. But the foregone conclusion is part of the selling point. We, we know it's a tragedy that we're walking towards. Or I guess sailing towards in that case. Um, here, I think because we don't have that extra baggage, because we aren't bringing that awareness to it, mm. um, it's just kind of the movie just showing us the ending a little too early yeah and yeah. and there's a there's a downside to that i do think it's still very good it's very this good just I, the one I, I like thing the main actor let me oh, what's the name of the actor oh um, yeah he's he's great uh, leo kim uh Beaumier le pen is the the actor's name I, yeah I, I hope i'm pronouncing that correctly yeah very talented. Um, he, he's really really good he has yeah. a few scenes where he just gets to interact with some other kids that i really liked yeah um he has that um sort of outraged impulsiveness of a teenager yeah. that I feel is really authentic. I think yeah. a lot of movies don't get right about teenagers. Yeah. I like that. I like the character in the middle. I like the, yeah. the familial. It feels very real. Yeah. It's, it's the structure that gets in the way of the movie, which yeah. is a little frustrating. Yeah. But it's still, it's still good though. I still like it a lot. Yeah. Uh, the next one is called night of fortune. And I like this one a lot. Uh, this is a, a Danish film about an older guy, and he is in the morgue. And this his... is a, a, a morgue comedy. Yeah, it, this goes. I'm not going to ruin all, well, all where this goes, but this goes in some directions I did not see coming, and I actually I, was very satisfied. By I, it. I had to rewind it because I thought I had missed something. Because okay. there's there's this kind of misunderstanding. Yeah. That happens in the movie that I I thought wait did yeah I, I was kind of are they, the same way <laughs> are they both. Did, did we, what is this woman to these yeah. guys? I, the, yeah, the, okay. the uncertainty of where the story is going, and eventually it's clear, but the uncertainty of it leads to a, a bizarrely emotional yet comedic beat, which mm. I really think is a great centerpiece. But this, the, the premise is this. There's this older guy, uh, and his wife has just died, and he's in the morgue, and she's in a, a, like a, she's coffin, in a coffin. Yeah. And he, they're like, we'll leave you alone with her. You can say whatever you want. Some people get very angry. Whatever you feel is fine. Just, it's your space, do what you want. And he can't bring himself to even open it and look at his wife. So he goes to the bathroom just to sort of get a moment to himself. Uh. And there he runs into a guy who is also there to see his dead wife. Mm. And he says, listen, I can't do this. And this guy isn't even admitting that his wife is dead. Mm. But this other guy is like, yeah, my wife has died and I, I, I can't bring myself to look at her. Would you mind helping me? Could you come in with me? You come in with me. And the Which, guy's... Th this feels like a very Danish thing. Like, I, I haven't lived in Denmark, <laughs> but I've seen enough Danish movies feels to like think, like, Bergman th this kinda, is the way, yeah. like, Danes relate to one another. <laughs> can, can, you have a very we... limited view, but yeah, fair uh, enough. Uh, no, I admit that. <laughs> okay. I, I just admit it. This is just my interpretation yeah. of, of Denmark based through on the what movies we, I've seen. Based on what makes it across the pond. I, I, I have... <laughs> this feels of a piece. To, to be fair, I have been to Denmark. I was a teenager at the time, but I've been... Uh, More than I can say. Um... Anyway, so they, they're, they're going to... He can't talk about or even bring himself to think about the fact that his wife is dead, but he's able to look at this guy's grief. And he, like, reads, like, a long letter to his wife about all the things he wished she'd done differently. Oh. And it's really, really sad. And then something happens that is most unexpected. And all of a sudden, this guy who thought he had a bead on this other... He's grieving, he's an eccentric, or whatever... All of a sudden, he knows nothing about him. <laughs> Everything he thought he knew is totally in question. And it ends up being, A, very funny. Mm -hmm. B, pretty genuine and sad. Uh, and C, very kind of lovely, actually. I really well, liked I, what this one, how this one I, played out. 
Let's compare this one to The After, because okay. th- those are both movies about losing somebody and, about grief. and grief. Yeah, yeah. Uh, One's immediate, one's later on. The yeah. After is about sort of uh, delving into that miserableness. Yeah. Uh, and this one is, be- because it comes from Denmark and they can do that kind of thing, oh, uh, is is a comedy about grief. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if that's just a Denmark thing, but okay. I. I'm trying to think of grief comedies in the United States that have come out in like the last 20 years. I mean, there, there's there was a time when uh, death at a funeral. I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not so the which, norm, which but it's a British movie. But I, okay, I, they yeah. did an American remake. You're right. You're right. They did. Okay. I, I didn't. Is, I didn't see Neil Adams' version. I didn't. I, didn't, I, I, didn't see I just saw Frank movie. Oz's yeah. version. Okay. Um, I like Frank Oz's version. There you go. Uh, I was getting at something. But oh, you were... I totally <laughs> forgot what I was getting at. No, you're talking uh, about being being a grief comedy. Oh, just yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, uh, the the way this is able to uh, wrap itself around in a very savvy way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way the the complexity of grief and how yeah. grief isn't just about being sad and miserable, or you know, it is about yeah. mourning. It is about loss. It is mm-hmm. about emptiness. It's it is about facing sort of a bleak time in your life without somebody you loved. Yeah, but you're still you, and you still are the quirky weirdo you always were, and you yeah. still have a sense of humor in there. Yeah, and I feel like this is a film that is is a little bit more authentic about the grieving process and about how it's yeah. a little sloppy. Yeah, uh, and, and, and yet and yet and it's kind so, of yeah, and yet it's so cleverly structured though. Mm-hmm. Like I look at the like I could teach this in a class. Just like all the like the little details that come back later, the little revelations that recontextualize what we've seen before. The way they. The way they're not afraid to let uncertainty drive a scene. There's uh-huh. a certain matter of factness to so much cinematic storytelling where they just wanted the, clarity is all that's important. Yeah, we just want to be clear. Being unclear can be really interesting. We saw that in Letter to a Pig to a different extent, more conceptual than mm-hmm. than literal. And here, it's just the guy just totally not knowing what's happening right now. Right. And we're trying to figure it out, too, because we're pretty sure there's a logic to it and we can't quite see it yet. And when the logic is revealed, it makes perfect sense. It feels like it has been written carefully by someone who had something they wanted to explore and say, and yet even though it has been meticulously crafted and all the plotting has been done in a very, uh, uh, very planned manner... Mm. It doesn't feel inauthentic. It actually feels like it's really quite genuine, even though it is also clever and funny. Um, I love this one. I think this is a great short. I think it's really, really good. I, I dig it, too. I mean, yeah. I, I I was reminded of a short from last year mm. where um, it was the two brothers who were going through their dead mother's bucket list. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cute, yeah. yeah. It's a guy came home and his mother had died and his younger brother... Uh, needed extra care and he was going to try to take her away but then he's like no I found my mom's bucket list these are all the things she wanted to do when she died we're going to do it with her ashes yeah yeah. like she wanted to she wanted to go she wanted to go on an airplane well we can't do that but we built a little hot air balloon to put the ashes send the ashes up yeah (laughs) just a little bit you know whatever learn Tai Chi well we're doing it with the ashes I think think that one won didn't it it might have it was because it it was actually very it ended up being very sweet and it was about how like these brothers were bonding rather than Being about the mother, yeah, it was... because because mourning can be something that it, it, it can be communal, yeah, even in an unexpected way, yeah, yeah. It, life goes on mm. while we mourn, and that's something that's easy to lose sight of while we're mourning. Mm. So yeah, really good film. Uh, the next one, and this is a heavy one. It's called Red, White, and Blue. 
And it's directed by Nazreen Chowdhury, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but I'm probably not. Uh, and it stars another star, Brittany Snow, who you mm-hmm. might recall from the Pitch Perfect movies, for example. Uh, and she, she plays... TV series, too. What was it? American Bandstand or oh, some, something know. like that? I think she might have been on True Blood for a little bit, too. Anyway, um, yeah, she plays a waitress in Arkansas. And it's uh, a state where after uh, you know, Roe versus Wade... Uh, well, I got... I, was, I, I, was, was overturned. Was yeah. overturned. That's the word I was looking for. It was overturned. Um, now, getting an abortion is not something that is easy to do. And yeah, the, the, begin- the, o- the opening shot is she's looking at a pregnant, positive pregnancy test yes. uh, while she's at work. And, and she kind of like puts the test yeah. in her pocket. And, and she's a waitress yeah. at a shitty diner where people sexually harass her. She's not doing well mm. for herself. Uh, mm. and, she, and she's single and she's got two very sweet kids. Yes. And she's got this pregnancy and she has to figure out... And she's, she knows what needs to be done. It costs money that she doesn't have, yeah, and it will require of... her to take time off of work to do a long road trip, too. Mm. So the first chunk of it is just her desperately trying to do this thing while they have time to do it. She's and... looking for time. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of... she's. There's that scene of her uh, going through the bills and writing yeah. down a budget and trying to figure out what she has, and she's yeah. like literally counting pennies and going through yeah. her kid's piggy bank. You know, she yeah. needs money, needs money. It's really important. And then there's a there's a there's a nice plot. I don't want to say twist, but an unexpected plot mm. point that feels very real, even though it's obviously helping the plot along. But it's mm. great. Uh, and then she's in a position where she has to. She has a son and a daughter. Um, she can get a babysitter for the son. So she leaves the son and she's going on this road trip with the daughter. And they're, they're on a time crunch. They have to get to a certain place by a certain time. But she's on the road with her daughter and she can't say no to her. And the daughter's like, hey, can we stop? We just parked next to like a little carnival. Okay, one ride. And some cotton candy. But then we gotta go. <laughs> and there's this real sort of intensity to it. This This... I mean, it's tragic and human, but there's also like almost a Hitchcockian level of suspense, this ticking clock. Yeah. We have to get there by a certain time. And where the story goes, I will not say. I will say it got me. I didn't see where it was, what was going to happen. Okay. Uh, and it was very dramatic. And you could argue, uh, uh, maybe contrived, but I would argue that even if that's your opinion... Mm. We have a point to make here, and I think it's I think it's well conveyed, and I mm. think it doesn't play its hand. So, I keep using this poker metaphor, but I, I think it doesn't. Uh, I think it doesn't overdo it. I think it is trying to hit you with melodrama, but I don't think it does it so much that the movie becomes less believable mm. or meaningful. I think it knows exactly how far to go and then stop. Like we're yeah. not going to go further than that. We're going to. Sh- this is where we're going, and I think that's weaponized, and I think it mostly works. Uh, I, I think it overplays its hand a little bit. Okay. To, to use your poker metaphor. I keep your metaphor. Uh, uh, I think without the twist, it would have been stronger. Really? The, I think the twist kind of brought into stark relief something that we already saw. And and made it just a little bit harder to palette, or you know, a little little bit darker than than the story was already calling for. Well, here's what I'll say without, and I don't want to give it away. I don't want to give it away. It's 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 mm. right at the end. Um, 
I will yeah, sorry, say, sorry, we have to speak in these no, 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 terms, it's, it's, yeah. it's fine because we want you to see it, and we don't want to go. It's not like you know, like you know, the Sixth Sense or anything like that. It's just there's it, there's only so much movie to talk about, and they do want to get you at the end. So I'm going to respect that. But I think until the movie kindly finally reveals everything that it's doing mm-hmm. and everything that it's trying to talk about, I think what they're doing, and I think this is really uh, quite restrained, is they're trying to portray the need to get an abortion as somewhat matter of fact. Mm. As something that is very uh, normal, very everyday, uh, and in in a way that hopefully will connect people and say like, okay, yeah, this is not just like this is something anyone can go through at any time, and it's very very difficult. Especially, let me let me just finish my point. And then I think by the end, if you were saying to yourself, well, no, maybe I don't know, maybe they should keep it. I don't know, like maybe this isn't so bad. By the end of the movie, you realize no, there's a reason why we need abortion care. Yeah. There's a reason why we absolutely need it. It's important. And if we can appreciate complexity and moral complication, and we can debate about that if we want, but there's a reason it needs to be available. Mm. And I think the movie ultimately makes that point very clearly and in a way that I think has a dramatic impact. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I was just thinking of... Um, uh, that really excellent abortion drama from a few years back called mm. um, "Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always." I missed that which one. Was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which was a, a also a road trip. There are right? actually several road trip movies about getting an abortion two years ago. Wasn't it, so was it unplanned was the one that said unplanned was uh, unpregnant. Was unpregnant, one. That yeah. Was it. yeah. And, and there's another one. Um, yeah. It's it sucks that it's, this it's, has it's to be weird. a genre. It's weird that there that, that it happens so frequently, so close together. It's like how 2023 had all of those like corporate biopics in one yeah. year. Um, but yeah, uh, that was all. You're, you're talking about how this one's matter of fact. No, this mm. one's like actually pretty melodramatic. Mm. Uh, never, early, sometimes, always is actually very matter of fact. It is about the practicalities of just needing to get on the road and the, the mm. steps you need to take to cross straight state lines so you can go get an abortion. To be fair, that one's uh, a feature. It has more real estate. Exactly. So, so yeah. again, maybe. Maybe if, maybe a feature would have benefited this a little bit better. I, I don't. Know. I think this one needs to be short. I think it needs to be like the sort of thing you can like show mm-hmm. to people briefly and just convey. It. This is a message movie. Yeah, that, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be if you disagree with the message, but and and in this case, I don't. Uh, or I don't disagree with the message rather. Um, so there's that. I'm coming from that angle, uh, but at the same time. Uh, I think there's a place for it. Mm. And I think it's to do that well is very tricky because you have to be clear about your argument, the thing that you're trying to convey, but you can't be so heavy handed about it that people don't take it in. They want to reject it. And I think this one rides that line. I I see you seem to think it kind of crosses it a little. Well, uh, just a little. Like it doesn't, it's not a wash, but yeah, yeah, just a little. It's it's not not unreasonable. I'm not saying it's unreasonable. I just, that wasn't my take. All right. And then the last one, and this is one we've actually reviewed before on the show because Uh it's one of uh, Wes Anderson's Roald Dahl adaptations that he did this year. He did a series of short films. Mm. on Netflix. Uh, And there were uh, adaptations of Roald Dahl's short stories for adults, not kids. He did a lot of uh, sort of vaguely sinister and satirical and slice of life uh, type tales. Uh, and they're, uh, one of them was... Uh, d- dark and eccentric figures. Yeah. The, the kind of characters you wrote about, just for adults. Uh, there, there's one that's about uh, a guy who wakes up and thinks that there's a poisonous snake on his chest mm. and he can't move. Or, or it's just in his bed, isn't it? Oh, it's on his chest. That's why it's so horrible. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, so that's there's that one. There's one about... 
uh, a couple of local guys, and uh, they meet a very eccentric rat catcher mm. who's very proud of what he does and uh, shows them very strange things, tools of the trade. Uh, there's a really in- inventive one uh, about a child who was encountering some bullies mm. uh, who made him do terrible things at gunpoint. Uh, and the way that one is staged is some of Wes Anderson's oh. best work, if you ask uh, me. I mean, I, I, I've said this before. I think Wes Anderson has spent his career zeroing in on the kind of movie he's always wanted to make, that yeah. kind of really mannered melodrama. I think he kind of... I really love the French Dispatch. Uh, that sure. he, his last movie, he did a movie this year well, called uh, Asteroid, Asteroid City, City, which I liked a lot. Which, I finally got around to it. I liked, it uh, liked less than the French Dispatch, but I think mm. it's still okay. I'd, I'd reverse that, um, but yeah, fair enough. But I really like the world of Henry Sugar. Um, yeah, and that's the one that's been nominated yeah. here. The wonderful story of Henry Sugar, starring Benedict Cumberbatch as Henry Sugar. Benedict Cumberbatch plays. Uh, a, a layabout millionaire. He has inherited his wealth. He's never had to work a day in his life. Uh, he's got a bit of a gambling habit. And one day he chances upon in someone's library a little scientific journal, like a little, uh, just like a, a doctor explaining mm. a strange case that came about. And so, well, first of all, we start with Roald Dahl. Yes, played by Ray Fiennes. Played by Ray Fiennes, who says, this is my story of Henry Sugar. And then we get to Henry Sugar narrating. Yeah. And he finds this book and he narrates and we sort of see the story. So there's all this nesting doll of yeah. stories. So there's know? the story of the doctor explaining how he ran into a guy who was working at kind of a traveling sideshow. And what the guy would do is he would go to a doctor and say he would have the doctors wrap his face so heavily in gauze that scientifically we know for a fact you can't see anything. Mm. And then he would do incredibly elaborate things like walk around strange areas and not fall down or read. Uh, And the doctor is absolutely amazed by this and the doctor asks him to explain his story and then we go into that story and he explains how he ran into a guy who had the strange ability and he learned it over the... took, took many decades... Uh, for him to be able to develop this incredible, uncanny sixth sense. Mm. Uh, and uh, and then that's what he did. Uh, and Henry Sugar sees this, and he realizes that there's instructions on how to do this in the text. And he says, I could do this, mm. and then I could win at gambling. <laughs> but here's the thing. Whereas the guy, who, the guy who did it in the book was very poor and had to work for a living and could only train at night, He's wealthy and has nothing but time. And so he develops the skill in like just a couple of years. But it turns out that developing the kind of mental discipline it takes to do something that extraordinary Uh will affect your personality. And he's not Mm. the same person he was at the beginning. He's essentially enlightened through this process. Yeah, yeah. It's a weirdly hopeful story. Mm. It like either the movie even uh, admits, just like the short story did, that if this were more con- if this were more like conventional, he'd get his comeuppance in some way. Something terrible would happen to right, this guy. Right, right. But it's like that's not why we're here. Actually, we're here to talk about the unexpected ways enlightenment can enter our lives and mm. how that can affect anybody if they're open to it. Mm. What a wonderful film! <laughs> what an absolutely titled film! This is a wonderful story of Henry um, Sugar. Th- this is. Far and away my favorite. It is yeah. the outlier in that it's like the one that's not the bummer. Yeah, uh, and it's by it's, Wes Anderson. It's by it's Wes got a Anderson. Whole bunch a, of stars, yeah, established and it's ben filmmaker. Kingsley, uh, and, yeah, uh, it's Wes Anderson. He's doing his shtick with that sort of do- those dioramas, yeah. but he's doing it in the a lo-fi way. Mm-hmm. Like he, people are like bringing props into the characters. Yeah, they're, they're you know, they're yeah. There's like stage hands. All of the the 
the actual scene is actual like moving um, mm-hmm. proscenium and, yeah, and all stuff, these yeah. flats, all these wings are, are being sort of yeah. f- flailed about as if you're watching a live production. Uh, you can see the way it's being made and it's sort of is also telling the story of its own making. So there's yeah. this additional uh, layer of narrative going on behind yeah. it. Wes Anderson doesn't appear on camera. He might as well. Well, that's the thing with Wes Anderson is that, you know, he started off with somewhat more grounded movies, mm. Bottle Rocket, mm. Rushmore. They feel kind of real, but over time he became more interested in making the audience aware of the artifice mm. until the artifice is part of it. And if you look at something like Asteroid City, which is all about artifice on top of artifice on top of artifice, in terms of it's not just the story, it's how the story was written and then how the story was later adapted again and now they're making a documentary about the making of it and all of these things are happening simultaneously. Um, I think he just, I think he found a really great niche with these Roald Dahl stories because there's a certain playfulness and self-awareness in Roald Dahl's uh, work where he's not necessarily getting meta about it but you tend to be aware that this is a roll doll tale you're a little yeah uh, you're, you're it's definitely one of his and in adapting these stories in such a way that the narration itself and the fact that it is narrated the fact that the story is being not just conveyed but told mm-hmm. is highlighted and leaned into i think he's actually exploring in some very subtle ways some in some shorts more than others uh the nature of adaptation itself and the nature of storytelling yeah. itself. And I think, I think some, I think the role doll shorts might be his finest hour as a director. That's, Just you know, that's in fair. general. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do. So, um, I think this is the one to beat. Wes Anderson has been nominated for an Oscar like seven times or something like that. Yeah, I think this is his eighth. Yeah. 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 yeah he's been nominated for screenplay. He's been nominated for picture, I think for, for a, picture a, for Grand Budapest. Grand Budapest Hotel. He's, he's been right, animated feature. Director and animated feature. Yeah. And yeah. If he wins for a short, fine. You know, he's... No, go for it. I, I honestly think this one, I, I'm torn because I really like, uh, night of fortune. I think it's an excellent short and it kind of mm. bummed out that it's going to probably get overwhelmed by wonderful story of Henry sugar. Mm. And because it's, doesn't have the stars. It might not be something people seek out. It's true, which, which is a bummer. It's a Danish film, probably made on like a twentieth of the budget. Yeah, yeah. and that, and that's a bummer. But at the same time, the one with Henry Sugar is really excellent. Yeah. And so I, it's probably I, the best, but for me, it's 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 almost neck and neck. If if you're listening to this podcast because you want to, like an edge on your Oscar pool, consider how widely available Henry Sugar is. It was mm-hmm. released on Netflix. People can just turn it on if they mm-hmm. have a Netflix subscription. And it had a big, pretty uh, big push earlier yeah, in the so, year as well, yeah. Uh, and I feel like the ones that people can see yeah. are the ones that are going to get voted on the most. Well, the ones people most gonna, people are going to see that one. Well, if you're talking about just purely like Oscar uh, uh, odds or whatever, mm-hmm. um, a lot of what we talk about in terms of like what seems like it's going to win... A lot of it has to do with, has it won other awards leading up to the Oscars, Guild Awards and such? That's not so much a thing mm. with uh, the Oscar shorts, because although some of them do win awards, it's usually at festivals, and they're not building up the same kind of buzz as it does when, say, Oppenheimer sweeps all the Guild Awards. Yeah. You know, that that feels like it's a story, it's momentum, we're hyper-aware of it. Uh, people aren't talking about the shorts nearly as much. So when there's a short people do talk about a lot, it doesn't always, but it tends to be the one that stands out and ends up uh, getting the most attention yeah. and winning. Uh, that's not unilaterally true, and these can be some of the di- most difficult uh, awards to predict because there's not a lot of precedent, and you just don't know where the Academy is going to lean. But I feel like Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar is a pretty safe bet, and I 
actually think it would be well deserved in this case. Um, and then uh, lastly, we're going to the live action shorts. No, we just live action. We we're doing the documentary shorts. Documentary shorts, which are live yeah. action. To be fair, uh, <laughs> they're all the two thirds of them are live action. To be fair, uh, then the documentary short films. Uh, the first film we're going to do in alphabetical order, as always, uh, is the ABCs of book banning, mm-hmm. which is dealing with. Uh, the modern wave. We, we've had book bans and people saying this book shouldn't be in, in kids' libraries, something like that, for as long as I can remember. I would yeah. go to a bookstore and they'd have, this is the banned books section. Uh, but in the last few years in particular, it's gotten... It, it, was, it was never good, but it's gotten wildly it's got, out of hand. It's gotten really ridiculous. Yeah. And um, rather than delve into... The people who are banning the books, mm-hmm. or the librarians who are being forced to take them off of shelves, or aren't, yeah. uh, who's, just don't take them off the shelves. Just leave yeah. them in there. That's well, like, but, but, they, but they're 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 trying to get them in legal trouble. They're trying to say that librarians could be like you know in legal yeah hot water. Here, over uh, that, yeah. Here's what I'm going to say on this podcast to anybody who wants to take me up on this: If you are a teenager, yeah, living in an area where a book has been banned. Mm-hmm. Uh, contact me on social media and I'll buy it for you. I will mail that book to you. Wow. The banned book that your community won't let you have uh-huh. because you should read that book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the ABCs of book banning, as, as Whitney said, it's not so much about the librarians. It's not so much about the people banning them, which by the way, fewer people than you might think. A it's, lot of the people like who are mailing in this book should be banned. Mm. It's like a very small number of people just writing a lot of letters. Yeah. It's actually not, most people aren't as excited about this, about book banning as they want you to believe, but yeah, a lot of people have a lot of too much time on their hands. You actually look up a lot of stories of modern American censorship and it's yeah. because the FCC, like mm-hmm. a government organization, got a single letter from like a pastor in Mississippi. Yeah. And, and just and wildly yeah. overreacted. And it's yeah. like, okay, well, why didn't the pastor just not listen to the radio then? You yeah. know, it's, but, uh, yeah, it's, 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 you know, they're called parent groups. There's, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of astroturfing going on. They're yeah. like really backed by political, uh, activists. But yeah, what's really, uh, what this movie is going for, the ABCs of book banning, isn't about those people at all. It's, it's about, about the, the kids. kids. Yeah. And the idea is that these kids are being prevented from reading these books because uh, theoretically the people who want to ban them say, they're teaching these kids bad things. They're teaching these kids to feel bad about American history. They're teaching these kids that, uh, you know, black people had it hard in the 60s. Oh, my God. Really? Uh, we, we don't want kids to know about that now? What yeah, the it's, shit? It's, it's it's insane. And you know? what, we're, what we see through these interviews with these kids, first of all, I love these kids. They're all good uh, they're, kids. They're, they're, between they're, all good se- they're between seven and ten, which is, yeah. you know, they're, they're great. Yeah. And they're just utterly baffled because they, they read well, the books and they say here's what we got out of it that's well, they, the whole documentary yeah they read the books and they say this is a good message and they ask you you know what did you learn from this book and they're yeah. just essentially give book reports yeah but they also say but you know i liked this book or i like yeah. this part in this book uh there's this one really nerdy kid who just says but i i just like reading and learning stuff yeah can i just have that yeah everyone there's a, a really wonderful uh conversation between like four girls who are clearly all really close friends or, or yeah. maybe they just knew each other 
But yeah, they're kind of like bouncing off each other. Oh, I like this one. I liked it for this one. Oh, that's so great. I liked it that way too. Like, it's just it's nice kids to see kids gas. excited about reading. It's just nice, you know? Well, kids are excited of about reading. Of course they reading. are. I'm excited, I'm excited I love to see. Reading. Yeah. Um, we don't get to see that enough, I think, in like yeah. in culture. Like, you don't see, like, aside from maybe if there's like a subplot in Abbott Elementary or something like that, mm. it's not something that tends to come up on TV a yeah. lot. So it's nice to see kids being enthusiastic, and they're making a point, which is that if you think kids are going to come away from these books, and some of them are. I mean, they're just tried and true. The Diary of Anne Frank, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Like, it's just, will this kid get something terrible? Will this kid be corrupted by it? And all the kids have reasonable reading comprehension. Uh-huh. They understand the text pretty well. They understand the positive messages that these stories are imparting. And they're, it's just one long piece of proof that kids are fine. They don't need to be protected nearly as much as you think they are, and they uh, definitely but, don't need to be protected from some of the things you need to you think they need to be protected yeah, from here. because they're not problems. The, the takeaway is the kids yeah. are smarter than you. Yeah, a lot of them. The, yeah. the kids know more about what's in those books because they read them because they've read those books and, and they're they've wiser. read and they've read them mm. without looking for something to be mad about. Yeah, they're just reading the book and yeah, the, thinking uh, about it. The, the, there's a phenomenon you'll see in a lot of American political discussions uh, mm. about how um, it, it's for the last couple of years there's been a lot of pressure on educational systems mm. and the kinds of facts they're teaching the children and there's a lot of obnoxious fucking obnoxious hand ringers who are concerned that the kids mm-hmm. are being exposed to the wrong kind of information that is American history and yeah. the existence of queer people yeah uh, and Facts, basically. Yeah, facts. The world. Facts of life. The world. And I think, and a lot of, uh, you know, bigoted parents are concerned that the education isn't being bigoted enough. Yeah. Or it's not propaganda enough. You're not teaching them that America is the greatest country in the world because it had some flaws once. Here's what's what's really happening. They, the kids are being educated. Yeah. They're they're learning about the world and they're getting different kinds of perspectives on the world and they're actually just thinking for themselves. They're just learning about the world, period. Some parents Uh, don't want their propaganda. It's the world. Some parents don't want and I've I've seen this firsthand. Mm. Some parents don't want their kids to be smarter than them. They don't want their Mm. kids to understand things that they don't. They don't want their kids to have different perspectives on things and challenge their parents' authority. Uh, because they want to impart upon children not just information that will serve them well in life and love and care Mm. and how to extend love and care to other people and how to become good adults. They want to create copies of themselves. Mm. They want, you will believe what I believe, because if you don't, what does that say about me? Mm. Uh, And that's that's not healthy, and that's not education. And all of that sort of swirling through yeah. uh, ABC's book. And that's not to I, say people shouldn't raise their kids to try to like share their values. Obviously, that's mm. that's the natural temptation. But yeah. they will be exposed to the world, yeah. I, and like, they will bring in they, other when, ideas. Yeah, when your kid goes away to college, they're not being indoctrinated. They're meeting new people. They're just they're, they're getting finding new, out new they're, stuff. They're, they're just finding out new stuff. That's by, what they should do by meeting a wide variety of people if they left the state maybe this is the first time they've ever left home they're meeting yeah. new people they've never met before their their, their perceptions uh, are being challenged their their the, assumptions the, are being yeah. turned upside down the, the college didn't do that life did that life yeah. educated them they're learning to be better people if they leave the house uh, long enough it'll happen no matter what i i i get really outraged about education it's yeah. sort of a pet 
project of pet peeve of mine when people badmouth education because it's really yeah. important to me and i think schools are very very important i was raised by two so, educators public yeah. school educators so i i Carol, I know a lot about yeah, what goes my, into it and how difficult a job it is and how the bureaucracy yeah, undermines my, it, but everyone's trying really, really hard to be good educators. Yeah, I, I, I'm never running for office of any kind, <laughs> but if I did, I would run an education ticket. Sure. Uh, sure. So, yeah, I'm, I'm watching this and I'm just sort of outraged, but sure. at the same time, I'm glad it took a gentle hand to a, yeah. a, a hot topic. I, I think they found a good delivery mm. system for this. Um, it's kind of the same point being made over and over again but it's an important point yeah. and i think it's a documentary it's meant to document things it's mm. trying to you know, it's not conveying a narrative it's presenting yeah, that, a point they, that, he, that is after this many examples of kids getting it maybe kids can get it maybe yeah, kids are fine I, you know yeah i feel like maybe there was a feature in this when you shoot documentaries you usually get hundreds of hours of footage and this yeah. is you know down to a, a short length uh, they, they have interviews with a few authors. You can tell they wanted to talk to more people. You can tell sure. they really wanted to I'm delve sure they into did. this. This could have been a three-hour film. Yeah. Um, but it's effective the way it is. Yeah. No, it's good. It's a good one. Um, the next one is called The Barber of Little Rock. Uh, and it is Economic this, Injustice. It's about economic Wee. injustice. It's about uh, Arlo Washington. Uh, he's, a, he's a barber in Little Rock, Arkansas, and he teaches uh, you know hairstyling to people who want to learn the trade. But what the story is really about is how when he became successful, he decided to actually do something incredibly positive and productive for the community, and he helped open... A nonprofit community mm. bank, the People's Trust, it's called. Yeah, and this is this is because banks and, it, and it's a bank that gives loans. Yeah, that just gives loans. Yeah, <laughs> it, it gives loans, and it and and it actually its concern is not necessarily making the money back, although it does. Mm -hmm. uh, its concern is that making sure people who are denied loans and other financial care mm -hmm. by larger institutions, which either through institutionalized racism, active racism, or uh, subconscious racism, are not giving as much financial assistance to black people yeah. who are trying to do things like yeah start a business save their home the yeah, practical yeah, meaning just get a car the reason why yeah. anyone would need a loan from a bank and so they actually say okay here's what you need here's what we can give you let's you can't pay it back right away six months okay great we're gonna do this and they have an incredible success rate they're not mm. being taken advantage of they, they, it's there's just even a, a good Chiron, bank Chiron at the end that they say like 95 yeah. percent of their customers pay back in full uh, in the time they say i, they were, I would be shocked uh, if that was normal for a bank that's a really yeah, really yeah. good percentage in any circumstances and, and we got to meet all of the people who take out yeah. these loans they and they do say you know um uh, one of them even says it's really dangerous banking while black. Yeah. Like this is a really horrible uh, experience just going into a bank and trying to get any money out of an ordinary bank. But mm -hmm. the people's trust mm -hmm. is there for that. They have a vested uh, interest in actually doing the job of banking. There, there is a homeless woman who comes in and asks for a loan and she gets it and yeah. she also pays it back. It makes her life better. Yeah. Uh, money. Yeah. It turns out we, we've developed a, a, a system, not just an economy, but an entire uh, country and honestly most of the civilized world as we call it mm. runs on money and if you don't have it if you don't have access to it you can't solve a lot of your problems because a lot of your problems involve not having enough money you can't mm. pay off loans if there's an emergency and you can't afford to pay for vital care for you or your loved ones you lose your job and you can't find it right away because the economy sucks you lose your home like there's a million different things 
that money can solve if you have it. <laughs> and if you don't and you have no access to it, you're fucked. Yeah. And this is a great this is a great story about the economy. It's a great story about the local community. Um it's just a damn good documentary. Like it's yeah, it's well, informative. It's... It get you get a lot of sense of the people involved. Yeah, yeah. and and again, I, I think it's it's just there to sort of tell us about the people's trust and yeah. about um, uh, oh sorry, it was Arlo Washington. It was Arlo Washington. Yeah, um, about Arlo Washington. It's about the people's trust and it's about how it exists and how it's working. Yeah, that's uplifting. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's, it's nice it's to know a, something works. It's kind honestly. of a da- damnation of, of capitalism yeah. in general, but how there are ways to work through and how this guy yeah. had a good idea and it turned out to be a good idea. Well, it turns out uh, that, that capitalism doesn't have to be immoral. Yeah. yeah. Capitalism or, or even amoral. Capitalism well, can be actively moral and still function. The bank yeah, is the, not uh, going under. It's working. The, a, a big issue of, of our system is that it's based not on uh, the movement of money, but the expansion of it, the yeah. growth uh, businesses have to keep on growing. And as we've seen in recent years, businesses get too big and they have to keep on growing and they have to keep on growing until they're hurting the world. Yeah. And then they have to keep on growing after that. And if they're not growing fast enough, even if they're successful in making money, the fact that they're not growing means that people lose faith in it. And then those businesses fail just because they're merely really successful. Yeah. So it makes no fucking sense. We're just we, we're not we're not applying We need to keep the money like, flowing all yeah, over yeah. the place. You can't just It's yeah, okay it's to, to to sort of we need to arrange the system somehow that a plateau is acceptable and that yeah. there's ceilings to all of this. A, a healthy status quo yeah. is get this healthy. Mm. And this is a case where, again, a lot of the financial decisions... And, and there's no... And, and get the billionaires out. Yeah, every single one of them. Well, because hoarding wealth isn't moving around the economy. It's not going through... People aren't actually using that money. It's yeah. just staying in one place. And this is a film about a... how actually <laughs> allowing money to move through a community not only helps the individuals, but the entire community. Right. Because everyone has money to spend and they're actually able to make it. It was a really fun... I expected the twist to come. Like, <laughs> yeah. where a cop would come. It's like, you can't some, have this Some trust tragedy and, uh, would occur. It's no, not, no, it's, it's just about yeah. how it's working. Yeah. Uh, I remember a funny headline from The Onion about sort of billionaire economics and, you know, yeah. the whole uh, Reagan trickle-down economics. Uh, money finally... It was like... 50 years after Reagan, yeah. uh, money finally trickles down to local men. Like, yeah. it took that long. And he got yeah. like, oh, yeah, I got to raise, like, five bucks. Yeah. Oh, that's the way that works. Yeah, yeah. kind of, yeah. The, bill- the billionaires who installed that are all, you know, dead and yeah. left their money to their heirs. So, so I like that this is a documentary that's about serious topics. It actually invites conversation about those topics, but it has found a subject, and I'm not saying that unhappy subjects aren't worth making movies about. Obviously, I'm not. But it is kind of refreshing that a movie about something that is actually positive can have that same mm. impact and can drive that same conversation. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's really good. I like this one a lot. Uh, the next one on our list is called Island in Between, uh, which is a documentary... Which, which feels like one of the animated shorts, quite frankly. Yeah, it's very, it's very much about the past and about you know, memory. About, and, about the past, yeah. about memory, and about this uh, the, the filmmaker's personal identity right uh this is specifically about the islands of kinmen which are uh the relationship between taiwan and china uh depend like the the way we describe it would depend on whether you're from taiwan or china yeah uh and this has led to a lot of hemming and hawing from china in particular because they consider that their country and taiwanese people or that government considers themselves separate uh but kinmen 
uh, or the island or islands, uh, forgive me, my geography isn't my strong suit, uh, but they are situated really close to China. Like you can see China mm. from these islands. And when in times of uh, turmoil uh, and violence, this is the first place where that strikes. And we see, uh, you know, older footage. We see remnants of that violence. We see like a tank that has just been left in the sand for so long, it's like the earth is starting to reclaim it. <laughs> uh, and this is the story of uh, S. Leo Chang, uh, who, his parents are from there, he has memories of it, and he's just talking about what this island is like, how it has changed, how it has evolved, uh, how traveling to and from there, he needs multiple passports. Mm-hmm. You know, he can't just have the one anymore. Have that one for Taiwan, one for China, and one for America. It's getting really complicated. Um, how the memory of the conflict is still embedded in all of the the land, the architecture, the history, the monuments, but also people you know who have, who haven't had to deal with that it being an immediate sense or you know, people are people. They're just kind of going about their lives as well. well why and should just, it be yeah. you and I should get along so awfully? You said it. You said it. I did. Myself. No, I did. I, I brought that on myself. I brought yeah. that on myself. And I, I accept that. Do you understand what makes a man? Yes. No, I don't my, understand what my, makes uh, a man. Hate another man anyway. My, my wife is a huge Depeche Mode fan. Ah. She got to see Depeche Mode in concert recently Ooh. to uh, mourn the passing of one of their members. Right. Uh, and evidently they still got it. You know, great on stage. Good here. And we went home and we watched a Night Flight. Found a, a, a Depeche Mode film on Night Flight. It was just a Depeche Mode uh, series of music videos. Ah, okay. So I've heard all of those songs recently. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't just me being a dick. I, I was I, kind of floating around. I, I'm not head, their biggest so. fan, but I like Depeche Mode a lot. It's totally right. fine. Um, but that's kind of it. There isn't really a narrative to it. This isn't about... It's about raising awareness, but it's also not really in your face about that. It's just basically well, about the interesting history of this island and this hmm. person and their family's personal relationship to that island yeah, and that yeah. conflict uh, yeah uh, there are many i mean you, yourself is the best subject to make a movie about isn't it because you're you're the one who understands the world the, the way you do mm-hmm. uh, so this is guy telling us about his experience and i feel like it's a, a little bit shapeless it's more kind of a general meditation as to you know mm-hmm. what's going on here there's not it's not a direction he's trying or a point he's trying to make just this is the way the world is constructed and here's where i came yeah. from and this is who i am yeah it's very uh, this it, i came from this here's my parents here's this building it, that they dance in front of it's very pensive yeah yeah, yeah. uh which is you know is le- leaves you a little bit warm yeah I, I appreciate it. You know, it's a, it, it a story honestly told. It's interesting because uh, it's not really designed to have a huge impact. It's not trying to gut punch you. Yeah. Um, it, it is about serious there's, topics. There's no, but there's no twist in it. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's it, it, it feels very much just... Honestly, it's more atmospheric than a lot of documentaries that I've seen of late. It just in terms of like, it kind of is, a lot of it is atmosphere. A lot of it is just getting a sense of the place. Um, and there's something really effective in that, and that's that's undeniable, but it doesn't leave as much of an impression mm-hmm. as some of the others, which is not in and of itself a good or bad thing, necessarily, because these films weren't all designed to be watched around each other. Mm-hmm. This wasn't... This, even though you can see all of these in like by p- buying a ticket at a theater that's playing them, you'll see all five. The Barber of Little Rock was not meant to be watched before or right after yeah, The Island yeah. in Between. 
th- comparing them is a natural thing to do considering they're they're placed in this context together and let's be honest they're in a form of competition together but it doesn't have to be these other films it can be its own thing yeah but it does have a somewhat milder impact and that is worth noting uh the next film second to last uh is called the last repair shop uh and this is a documentary about a uh a musical instrument repair shop in los angeles for the LAUSD. Yeah, they will, because... Yeah, that you know, is the they, Unified School District, yeah. yeah. They, the LA Unified School District, all public schools, really, don't, are, they aren't swimming in cash. Uh, <laughs> oh, golly, no. No. L- LAUSD is not... Is, is, has always been grievously underfunded. Yes, but they do care, the you know, people do care about education, and they understand that uh, education in music can be extremely uh, life-changing. Mm. for a lot of students and uh a lot of these students are in public school they're not swimming in cash either they can't afford a piano they can't afford a trumpet these are not necessarily cheap pieces of equipment so they have instruments that are shared amongst the school they're in this class and they they come back in the summer whatever but they go through a lot of wear and tear and so this is a repair shop, and it's very, very, very... There's not a lot of people who work there. It's like four. Uh, but, and, but we interview all of them. We interview all of them, and that's what they do. They they, they send back the instrument. Hey, this, this is loose, or this mm. is off-key. And then they just sort of assess the damage, and they fix it, and they send it back. And that's what they do for a living. It is highly skilled, very particular... And in this context, it's incredibly uh, uh, life-affirming. And we interview the people who have found themselves in this particular job, what led them to that job, how did they become so talented at fixing instruments, a very very particular skill. Um, And we also see the kids who are getting these instruments. Yeah, and we find out what music means to them and what why this educational uh, program is so valuable, and all the stories are really riveting. It's very it's very dramatically shot. All of like the uh, the, the this almost like oh, it's, it's cavernous like, repair shop is very dramatic. Yeah. Um, th- this is the slickest looking film of the documentaries. Um, yeah, I'd say that's probably fair. Even yeah. more so than the the Disney film, which is a weird thing to say. Right? Yeah, well, the Disney film is, is very slice of life, but no, this one is very. Um, um, yeah, it's it's very uh, uh, smartly constructed, and there's a thing that I was watching in the movie, and there was one thing I kept thinking was missing. Why aren't we seeing anyone play these instruments? <laughs> that comes together very well at the end. That yeah, is a yeah. very inspirational ending to this. That the, the, really the, the, the Mr. Holland's mo- opus moment. A little it's, bit, yeah. It's, it, it works though. I think it it, works. it's treacly, but it's told in earnest, and yeah. I appreciate that. Um, it, it, it's a weird way to sort of bat, it, it's like they're sidling into problems with public education yeah by not, looking at the people who work in the instrument repair shop it's like uh, the there, fact that there are so few people for so many instruments yeah. is is un- inescapable but not directly addressed as much as maybe it could be yeah, like it's it's yeah. more I feel like it, it leans a little too heavily into the slice of life element of this when clearly mm. it's trying to get at a bigger point. Maybe some people would appreciate that, that it's not being sort of aggressively political. It's a little bit yeah. more personal. Yeah. I, I would have appreciated a little bit more of each. Um, yeah, maybe. 
I would have liked to see a, a little bit more of a pullback to see you know, how musical education is being wielded in yeah, in LAOSD or mm-hmm. how, how often it's to, mm-hmm. you know, where are these schools going? Where are these instruments going? Like what schools in particular mm-hmm. in Los Angeles? Go to those schools. Yeah. Talk to the music teachers at those schools. Talk to a, like whole classes. Get a, a bigger, wider portrait as to what's going on. Yeah. Um, Sometimes you find talk, a niche, a, and it those, not that those aren't interesting people. Yeah. I love hearing their stories. Uh, you talk to, a, you have a conversation with any individual. You're going to get a, going to get a, get a great story out of it. Yeah, but uh, I think what as, happens as is, a film, I feel like it's it's not ambitious enough. Well, I feel like what happens is sometimes when you're trying to tell, it, it could be a documentary, it could even be fictional, uh, but when you're trying to tell a story about something. A, a big topic, something that in, uh, involves a lot of people, a lot of systems. Um, it can be very tempting and oftentimes very effective to find a specific angle. Mm. Even something like Schindler's List, for example, which deals with you know the entirety of the Holocaust, but it's very specifically through the lens of this one particular guy, Oscar Schindler, and what he attempted to do within that system. It's not about all of it at once. Mm. You found an angle. And that was our entryway into the larger conversation. And this is a very good movie. I'm not using that as a critical term. I'm just using an example of how you find an angle. Um, here, you know, we have a story that involves the entire public school education, not just Los Angeles, but in general, uh, the way that underfunded uh, music programs and other art programs are really shortchanging children and how vitally important that could be to those children. And also what happens to people who are musically inclined later on in life who don't become big rock stars and how this is still useful to them and how this is still important to them. Um, But the risk you take is that if you have too narrow a focus, you don't necessarily bring up the larger topics. It's not necessarily... Mm. It's more of a window than it is a gateway into it. Hmm. And I, I can see your point. I can see that like maybe this is... In its attempt to be inspirational, it resisted the opportunity to be meaningfully critical. Yeah. The, yeah. and, and per- Perfectly put. Yeah. But I do think it is very inspirational. I do think it works as itself. Yeah. But if you look at it as what what use is this... You know, that's here's what to do. It's not telling us what to be mad at, and your mileage might vary in how important you think that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think it's very well told. I do think it's an excellent documentary. Yeah. And then the the last, uh, I, yeah. I just want to pause here yeah. before we get to this last very sweet film. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad there aren't any dead children yeah. in these documentaries. We've had so, <laughs> there's so sometimes so they're many, so bleak. Yeah. Sometimes and listen, th- th- like, those stories should be told. Don't get me wrong. It's about a, you know, but, a oh hospital and a war zone, or child soldiers, or yeah. end of life care. Like the, these have traditionally been such a harrowing category. I, I, have... I was so relieved to to watch these documentaries and not be trapped in a dark place not not, not be like shoved into a black hole at the end yeah no it is it is a nice change of pace and although i do think the live action short films uh, have picked up some of that bleak slack uh, (laughs) this year uh but yeah no sometimes the documentaries in the past have been oppressive and again they were never intended to be seen back to back you're supposed to watch one of these and go about your day you're not supposed to watch five incredibly bleak documentaries in a row that's not doing any of them a really good but service. But when they're all nominated, this is the way the, no- the voting voting body is watching them as well. I'm not, so. I'm not ignoring that. I'm just saying it's not necessarily a critique of the films themselves. All right. It's the presentation. Okay, the last one is called, and I hope I'm pronouncing this mm. correctly, uh, Nene and Waipo. Mm. Uh, 
It is the story of the documentary uh, filmmaker Sean Wang, and he has uh, two grandmothers, the Chinese immigrants. One is on his mother's side, one is on his father's side. One is, I think, in her 90s, one is in her 80s, and uh, you know their, their husbands are no longer with them, and they have decided to live together mm. as roommates. They share the same bed. One of them farts a lot. Uh, and are, it is, are, are they lovers? You know, they definitely don't say so. Hmm. I wouldn't that was be the impression to, I got. I wouldn't be shocked <laughs> to find out, yeah. but they never they never make that explicit. Uh. They definitely do have... But again, they're, they're different... Um, familial relationships can be mm. very uh, tricky and complicated. To They don't always have a specific definition the way we want to label. Yeah. Uh, but in any case... They live together, they take care of each other, they cook together, they do chores together, they play together, they just have a good time together. And it's just basically, here's what their life is like. They're very old, one of whom is honestly very afraid of the end that's coming, another whom is very zen about it. They're mm-hmm. very like, I've lived my life as best I could, I'm, I'm okay with the end when it comes, you know? But they're both aware of it, they're in their 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. They don't know how much longer they'll be around. And... Yet, that is not that that knowledge that they're towards the end of their life isn't ruining their day. No, <laughs> and that's well, what's very sweet about it. Um, I, I uh, when you're in your 20s, I'm 45. Yeah, uh, when you're in your 20s, uh, there's a tendency to feel like you're running out of time. You need, yeah. to, you need to get everything done, yeah, you need to try it all right now, uh, yeah. because this is your youth, yeah. And uh, no matter how much you try, no matter how big your experiences are, you feel like you're not doing enough. Yeah. Like, oh, no, this is bo- This is the boring yeah. time of my life. The exciting stuff is I, still coming. I have to stay up all night and do all the experiences yeah. and tr- say, say and, yes uh, to everything. Yeah. You get older and you, as, you know, even as you pass middle age. Yeah. You maybe start to get a sense that you have more time. You, hmm. you start to uh, maybe, f- you, you don't feel much different. You still have the same attitudes about life. You're yeah. still the, the same. When you're a kid, you assume yeah. that when you're an adult, you'll feel different, but mm. you you won't. You're going to feel like you. Yeah, you might yeah. go through experiences that change you, and that's almost certain, but you're still you. You're still you. You, you don't suddenly, you don't turn 35 and it's like, oh, I'm an adult now, and I am very, very good about doing my taxes. You so, know, like it's, I'm, No, I'm, you're still I'm you. I'm watching these women in their 80s, and one of them says, I feel the same way now as I did when I was 18. Yeah. So, and I get it. Yeah. I, I got it. I understand that. My, That's how my dad felt. My my own mom, who's in her mid seventies, uh, said to me recently, "You can do anything in your seventies that you did in your twenties. Mm-hmm. You just do it a lot slower, <laughs> and you can't do it as long. <laughs> like that's those are the only difference. <laughs> that's, you that's get fair. you get tired faster, is what yeah. she said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was a professional dancer. She can still do a lot of those dance moves. That's great. Not as robustly, yeah. and she gets tired quickly, but she can still do it. Yeah. Uh, Life life goes on. Your body will betray you eventually, of course. Yeah, yeah you live uh, long enough, eventually it will. Something will happen. So, something's going to yeah. break down. But um, yeah. uh, the way you view life doesn't change dramatically. It doesn't have to, anyway. Yeah, no. I know some people who go through a lot of hardships and... They do they, come. Maybe they, they do come out on. The well, I know. Side I know change, some people but... who do feel old. Mm-hmm. They do, and and there's they they have regrets. Uh, they have uh, you know their lives have not necessarily gone where they wanted to go and they do feel uh, they they don't feel as empowered in their older age uh and that sucks that's definitely not what i want for me or the people that i care about or love or really anybody um and i think this is a very sweet story about how you can keep 
life alive even if you don't have something remarkable going on. This isn't about them like doing a dance competition or yeah, yeah. this is just them hanging around around the house but living. Mm. And that's well, what it, it was filmed during lockdowns. They couldn't yeah. go anywhere. So well, what still. happens when they're just sort of locked in together? Well, they're still just being them. And, yeah. and it's about their that those women and their characters. My my one thing in this short that I find a little distracting and I don't think it ends it on a great note. There is a, one line at the end of this, like just at the end, hmm. where the director says goodbye to his grand, grandmothers, uh-huh. and then the camera lingers on them as he leaves, and one of them says a line that is great, hmm. and it it doesn't recontextualize anything, but it does point it's, out it's, that it's, what oh, they're, they're how they are when the camera is on them and when their son, grandson is around might be a little different than how they are normally. Yeah. But oh yeah okay yeah yeah you know what I'm talking about yeah. that yeah but in order to get that shot. You still have to leave the camera behind, so it doesn't feel as genuine. It feels a little contrived. A l- feels like, a l- feels like that was almost written, you know. The, That's the movie does feel a little treacly, and you know, it's yeah. it's no surprise that it started with the Disney Plus logo. Disney deals yeah. in treacle, and so yeah. it has has a little bit of that sheen to it, even though it's supposed to be this naturalist documentary. Yeah, it it does. There is a kind of a staged nature to it. Um, which can sink a documentary. If it feels like it was manufactured, then you're not getting the truth, and that's the point of a documentary. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like the women. They're great. So I'm not really bothered by some of the artifice. Clearly there's... It's just because it's the last note. That yeah, was the only reason why it really stood out. But yeah, I do love them. Yeah. I do love these characters, these people. Yeah. They're wonderful. Yeah. Um, so yeah. But, yeah, I, it, yeah. It, that it's just about... Them. Again, this is uh, a little mm. bit shapeless, because it is just about them. It's yeah. not about... A, a point or a, a story for them. It's just right. who they are. All right. Well, that's all the shorts. Uh, we are going to, uh, we because we talked about uh, our favorite animated shorts and our favorite live action shorts, and we'll go back to that in a second. Uh, Whitney, what, was, what if you had to pick what is your favorite of the documentary yeah. shorts, and also what do you think probably has an edge for people who care about the um, Oscars? My favorite was probably uh, the ABC's book banning. Okay. All right. Or the enough. Barber of Little Rock. I'm kind of torn between those They're two. They're very good. Um, I think the Barbara Little Rock is going to win. Really? Yeah. That's cool. That's I cool. Think, yeah. Uh, it, it, it has, like, the most salient point. Mm-hmm. It is about uh, new uh, addressing economic injustice mm-hmm. in a successful way, that it's very upbeat, that it actually has a solution, uh-huh. rather than just presenting us with the problem is it's, really nice. It's upbeat without the artifice. Yeah. You might see yeah. And some of the others. Excuse me. Um, yeah, I'm torn about what's going to win. I really do think... The ABCs of book banning is very topical, and that's certainly something that they might gravitate towards. I think The Last Repair Shop is very big. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's very complete, and it's had a lot of attention thrown into it, and it feels like a grand narrative with like a really satisfying ending, and I think that might be hard for them to say no to. So if I were to guess, predict, I'd say probably The Last Repair Shop okay. is going to win. Uh, in terms of what my favorite is... Hmm. Honestly, it's probably the last repair shop or the Barber of Little Rock. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to lean towards Barber of Little Rock, I think, for my favorite, just because it manages to have that inspirational quality, again, without the artifice, which mm. is extra special. Uh, but if you're okay with your documentaries feeling slick, the last repair shop is a great example of it. Mm. So I do think it's very good. Uh, lastly, uh, just just a quick reminder, what was your favorite live action short and what do you think is going to win? Uh, wonderful story. Wonderful story. 
story. Wonderful story. Of Henry Wonderful Sugar. story of Henry Sugar is my favorite. It's also the spot on to win. Okay. Uh, it's it's not a bummer. Uh, no, it, it's it's, it's really well put together. It's yeah. really entertaining to watch. It yeah. has a really interesting story and a lot of interesting characters. It's very artfully presented. I know presented. it's the movie star one. I know yeah. it's like the big dazzling one, but in this it's case, also, it's also my favorite one. So I, I gotta yeah. be honest about that. I think the wonderful story of Henry Sugar is gonna win. It it as in terms of my favorite, it, that one is like literally tied with Night of Fortune, which okay. is a very different beast. But I do think it's very yeah, wonderfully the, crafted. The other ones, I didn't really like the other ones that much um, overall uh, they, i liked invincible quite a fine bit, but you know, yeah i, I mean, liked invincible quite a bit i do think you're, you're right about the beginning it doesn't work as well uh, i think red white and blue is again it's very it's a message movie mm. and it's not ashamed of that it's just doing the message i think the message is important and vital and i think it's well constructed in that zone uh, but I would argue that as good as that is, right. and it might even, you know, honestly, if, if Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar doesn't win, I'd probably give the edge to Red, White, and Blue. Okay. Um, but, because, um, let's be honest here, this is the category where Skin won Best Live Action Short. Remember oh, that skin, one? With skin the, is abysmal. Skin is yeah. one of the worst movies to win an Oscar in many years, and I'm, that, that's saying something. Um, so, eh, let's not give him too much credit. Uh, but I do think it's a good movie, though. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I agree. Those one of the stories Sugar and Night Fortune, my favorites. One of the stories probably going to win. Uh, and then live action. I'm sorry, best animated short film. Oh, your favorite? Uh, what's going to win? My favorite was uh, Letter to a Pig. Yeah, is my favorite. I don't think that's going to win though. I think it's a little <coughs> too weird for Academy voters. Yeah. Um, I, you know what? I think War's Over is going to win. Yeah, it's, War's it's, Over is going to win because oh, it's the trickly upbeat one. God, the, the 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 one that I think it was last year, the one with like the kid and the animals in the snow that you and I hated. That oh one. yeah yeah, like, it was I, just it was, called, so... it was called like the fox and the horse and the boy or something. Yeah. Oh uh, god, it was just oh god, I couldn't take it uh, seriously. Aren't, aren't we all just going to be warm together? Yes, I think when we're kind, we should be warm. <laughs> I like that a pepper pot is saying that. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> hello, Mrs. Premise. Oh, hello, Mrs. Conclusion. <laughs> I, I I think there's a really good chance War's Over is going to win. If I were yeah. to if I were to uh, predict, I'd say 95 senses. Okay. Uh, just because I think it, it kind of has a good balance between uh, a pretty strong narrative, but also mm. it's got in the animation style, it's very varied. Right. Um, I think it it. it it comes across quite well. Uh, and my favorite is our uniform, which is slight, but right. it is so, <laughs> it, so beautifully it, presented. It is, it is clever. Uh, just it, the it's, style it's is cl- great. cleverly presented. Yeah, yes. I really dig it a lot. All right, so those are the Oscar-nominated shorts uh, this year. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week with a review of Dune, Chapter 2, and other things as well. And I'm very excited about it. Dune 2. Dune. I keep I keep seeing the poster around town, and they just because of the font they use. I just keep seeing Dunk. Dunk deal. But then Duncan <laughs> Idaho isn't on the posters. What are we doing here? Dunk. Duncan Idaho didn't die, did he? I think. Well, I think the implication is he's not going to be around. I know what happens in the books yeah. to Duncan Idaho, but like I think the implication is that Duncan Idaho is probably out of the movie. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how they they adapt and they can make You know choices. what? There's a twist. In this in, in this new version, he's the Cuisette's Hatterat. <laughs> Duncan Idaho. Makes you think. <laughs> no, right. it doesn't. It's not, not a thoughtful movie. Anyway, um, so that's coming up next on Critically Acclaimed. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, feel free to send us an email. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. It's been too long since we've done a We've Got Mail. We'll do one next week. Uh, 
and uh, we might read that up on that on that show and answer your questions and respond to your criticisms. Uh, Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us a physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network. P.O. Box 641-565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep. We're on social media, at Critic Acclaim. I'm Matt William Bibiani. I'm Matt Whitney Seibold. Uh, big shout-out to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, our patrons, even at $1 a month, get our shows ad-free. They get our show, Thank Godzilla, it's Friday a week early. They get bonus shows as well. Uh, exclusive to Patreon, very in-depth. Big back catalogs are available if you sign up. Um, thank you, again, to all of you who have signed up. It means a lot to us. It really helps the show because they have flow. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess that's about it. So thank you, everybody, for listening once again. And never forget, everyone is a critic. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what? <laughs>